This is The Guardian. Today, a year since the fall of Kabul, how life has been transformed for Afghan women and girls. There's something incredibly emotional about walking into a building in Afghanistan now where teenage girls are studying high school. It should be the most normal thing in the world. But in Afghanistan now, it's illegal. Assalamu alaikum. Hello, how are you? My name is Emma. Lovely, lovely to meet you. And are you, which grade are you in? Seventh grade. Yeah. Emma Graham Harrison is a senior international correspondent with The Guardian. She's been in Afghanistan, where teenage girls can't go to school anymore, at least officially. And so I went to several secret underground schools, several different types of places where adults were trying to keep girls studying. And and each time I went into one, you know, I'm someone who tries to keep my emotions out of my reporting when I'm working, but I found it almost overwhelming. There is something both utterly inspiring and utterly heartbreaking about seeing girls and their teachers go about something which should be so very ordinary and yet now in Afghanistan is dangerous and illegal. Um, How did they feel when they heard that the new government had brought a ban for girls from their grades, grades 7 to 12? What was their feeling when they heard that news? Not a good feeling because we we know we have to get an education for our future in Afghanistan. A year ago, just days after Western militaries pulled out of the country, the Taliban returned to power. It was the end of two decades of war, and for millions of girls and women, the end of a whole way of life. One of the cruelest and perhaps most consequential in terms of long-term effects on Afghanistan things that the Taliban has done is bar teenage girls from high school. So girls are allowed to go to primary school until grade six, they're allowed to go to university, but they're not allowed to study grades seven to 12. Today, on the anniversary of the Taliban's takeover, we go back to Afghanistan to see how life has changed for women and girls, what they've lost and what they're managing to hold on to for now. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the girls defying the Taliban to keep going to school. Uh, she has like social studies. And our One of the secret schools that Emma visited is just a normal school, one that girls attended under the previous government, and where they've now been readmitted, under the radar, in spite of the Taliban's ban. Geography, then history. 
So this particular school decided to start classes for girls actually after they were petitioned by the parents. Um, the male manager of the school who, who made this decision to ultimately break the law said that parents kept coming to him and saying, what about our girls? What about our girls? He went to talk to his mum about, he, he decided that he, he thought they should take the risk and let girls back. And his mother said to him, well, are the Taliban going to kill you? And he said to her, no, they're not going to kill me. Maybe they'll beat me up or put me in jail. And his mum said to him, well, then you've got to do it. You know, you'll forget a slap in an hour or two. And we were very happy. We know that even if girls are still uh, attending school, at the end, Emirates will never give them the school certificates when they graduate. But still, they come to learn something new. And it's a very motivational thing. One of the schools we went to, they, they were worried they were already on the Taliban radar because they were getting inspected fairly regularly. The girls know the drill. When the Taliban turn up, they race out of their classes, the ones who are in, in you know, the, the band grades from 7th to 12th grade, and they have a, a sort of uncomfortable hiding place where they go and hide, sometimes for hours, waiting for the inspectors to finish looking around the school. And, you know, that is frightening and sad and painful for them and it's it's it casts a shadow over the whole school i mean the teachers told us that the younger students cry as well you know they they're allowed to be at school they're not at any risk but just the sort of atmosphere of fear and knowing what the older girls are going through is is terrifying for them but sometimes when Taliban come for longer search they have to hide for, for the whole day without like being and you can see the worries and concern on their faces. The ban impacts the younger girls in other ways too. They know that each day they get older, the ban on going to school gets closer. <laughs> So one of the most heartbreaking interviews I think I did in this whole trip back to Afghanistan and one that really stayed with me, I kept on thinking about her, is this little girl um, who we're calling Mariam, who's 10. She's really bright. She's, even though she's 10, she's already in sixth grade. She's near the top of her class. She told me she always gets great marks. You could see she's a kind of sparky, funny, sharp little girl. And she'd come up with this plan and she was pretty pleased with herself. I said to her, you know, so you're going to have to finish school this year. How are you feeling about that? She said, no, no, I've got a plan, you know. I know what all the answers are to the questions or most of them and I'm just going to make sure I don't get very many of them right so that I fail and then I'll have to sit the year again so I'll be able to keep going to school. And there was something so heartbreaking about sort of her delight in the plan and the fact that her intelligence and ingenuity, which should be directed towards studying and, you know, preparing for, for a life, that she hoped for, you know, being a doctor, contributing to her family and to her country, that it was being directed towards this 
sort of crazy self-sabotage because she would rather fail a year and be able to keep going to school and keep learning things at, at least, even if a lot of them she already knew, than be stuck at home as she had seen happen to her older sisters. Emma, in order to understand how we got here, where girls are having to go to school in secret or not at all, let's go back to this time last year when the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan. Taliban forces entered the heart of the Afghan capital, Kabul, today, the culmination of a rapid advance and retaking of control almost exactly two decades after they were ousted. Initially, the Taliban were keen to project a new image to the international community with promises of fundamental rights, including that women and girls would be protected and educated. What kinds of things were they saying back then? So the Taliban, throughout years of negotiations with America for for the withdrawal of American troops, said that they respected women's right under Islam to get an education and to work. And... They were pretty consistent with that message. The uh, women's issue is a very important issue. We gave rights to all women according to Islamic principle. And we give them every right according to Islamic values. There were, of course, always many people inside Afghanistan and beyond it who were sceptical of that. Not least because if you looked at what the Taliban were doing on the ground in parts of Afghanistan, which they controlled, which, you know, by 2020, 2021 was already substantial number of remote, but districts, areas of territory. And in those places, girls either weren't going to school or weren't being allowed to go to high school. So so there were a lot of people who were skeptical, but the Taliban negotiators, the, the sort of public face of the Taliban throughout that period, those men were all saying that they would respect girls' right to get an education. And that was a message that was repeated again by the Taliban spokesman, by senior officials in the very early days of Taliban rule in Afghanistan after August 15th. And then, Emma, what happened next? How did that vision erode over the last 12 months? What steps has the new government taken in particular to limit what girls and women can do? On September 18th last year, they put out a notice saying that boys could go back to high school, or sort of welcoming the start of of the restarting of schools for boys. Secondary schools reopened in Afghanistan on Saturday and girls were noticeably absent. On Friday, the Taliban's education ministry announced that all boys should return to school as well as male teachers. But girls and female teachers simply weren't mentioned. It was clear to me and to others that this statement welcoming boys back was also a statement saying that girls weren't coming back, but the Taliban didn't even have the, whether it was consensus among themselves or whether because they knew that this would be such an inflammatory issue at a time when they were still more hopeful, I would say, of getting international recognition for their government. They didn't directly come out and say we've banned girls from school. They just did it kind of by this essentially de facto order saying that boys could go back to school and not saying anything about girls. And so it became a big focus in negotiations with the international community about aid, about recognition of the Taliban. 
The day started so well for these girls in Kabul as they returned to school for the first time in seven months. Thank God the Taliban are also like the previous government. Now I don't have any concern about what I have to wear or whether to go to school or not. And in March, the world was told that the Taliban had decided girls were going to be allowed back to school. And it was perhaps, in my view, one of the cruelest things this government has done. Girls were told they could go back to school. You had these beautiful scenes. They got their uniforms washed and ready and pressed. They were going to school. They turned up in their classrooms on March 23rd. And while they were there sort of starting their lessons, word came through that the government had changed its mind and that the schools were not going to open and that the girls had to go home. Not long after they've arrived, there's unexpected bad news. The girls had literally just sat down at their desks and the head teacher got a WhatsApp message from the local Taliban in charge saying that actually teenage girls can't come back to class just yet. That's just appalling. I mean, what did... What did those girls do? They just had to just turn around and go back to their houses? They did. And I mean, the scenes on that day were were heartbreaking. I mean, girls literally just sobbing their hearts out in the corridors of their schools. There was something indescribably cruel, really, about raising their hopes in that way, bringing them back into school. And then as they were gathered, you know, this thing they wanted so much was, was just about to be attainable again and then to have it snatched away from them. And Emma... The girls who can't go to these secret schools that have sprung up around the country, what do they do? They don't really do very much. In some cases, they help their mothers with housework. In some cases, they have been pushed by their families into early marriage. They say, you're not going to get an education now, so you should get married. Girls told me about crying as they watched their brothers put on their school uniform to go to classes in the morning, the sense of rage and impotence about being stuck at home. Um, and a lot of them are very depressed. There's, a, you know, I only have anecdotal evidence, but there is, you know, by all accounts, an absolute epidemic of depression among Afghan women and girls. And we're talking here about the majority of girls, right? Like the majority of Afghan girls don't have access to, to these secret schools. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to clarify that there are many Afghan girls who didn't have access to a high school education before the Taliban came along. I mean, for instance, in a province like Zabul, a pretty conservative province in southern Afghanistan, there are only three girls' high schools for the entire province. Of those girls who were in secondary school or who had access to secondary schools and whose families supported them, Yes, the vast majority of them are now outside education. They're not getting an education. I mean, one of the girls who I spoke to who who is stuck, who's shut out of education entirely, um, should be in 11th grade. She told me that she was always in the sort of either the top or or the number two in her class. She hoped to be a doctor, very specifically a heart surgeon. (laughs) 
خودم فعلا از تمام چیز نامیدم که دخترها نمیدم دیگه باز کرسفتن و فایده ندارد دوم که از ما not even saturated she basically sleeps all day now I said do you try to read she said I don't have any energy to do anything anymore you know she said to me it's, it's very easy to say just 11 years but you know I worked really hard for 11 years and all of that's just been taken away from me and she's from a very poor family they don't have a smartphone you know they don't have money for internet so she can't even go online or try to access online classes or study on her own or anything like that and so she just sits around at home and sleeps and she said her parents who've always been incredibly supportive of her education they themselves are largely uneducated her mum's illiterate they always pushed her really hard saying don't be like us you've got to get an education they're trying to motivate her she said she knows it breaks their heart to see her in this state of depression and and her sisters as well she's not the only one who's who's high school age but she just can't you know it's absolute classic depression she just can't bring herself to do anything it's so tragic it is such a colossal waste of a generation but emma beyond schooling what's the situation women now face in the workplace i mean the women who who did have jobs can they still do them so the taliban have allowed women to keep working in some sectors specifically and particularly healthcare and education uh, women doctors nurses midwives are largely still in their jobs although we have heard some reports of women struggling because the taliban this is in outside the big cities the taliban are insisting that they have a mahram or a legal guardian to accompany them in their daily commute and if they don't have someone who's either available i mean some people don't have a living father brother or husband or that person is not free then they they can't get to work but in the majority women in healthcare are still at their jobs women who work in education not secondary education obviously for girls but women who who taught primary education they're still working but in a lot of other sectors the taliban have basically told women that they shouldn't be working. They've sent women home. Emma, one of the most significant problems the Taliban has faced in office is that the Afghan economy has completely collapsed over the past year. What impact has that had on women in the country? The collapse of the economy has been devastating. I mean, there there was a recent survey, I think, by the World Food Programme that up to 98% of Afghans are not getting enough to eat. They might not all be facing malnutrition, but that's a, a, a just incredibly painful and sobering statistic that the vast, vast majority of the country is just not able to end the day with a full stomach. And of course, as is so often the case, the the impact of this is felt particularly strongly by women who are more likely to have lost their jobs. And those women are particularly vulnerable. 
And you've told us about these secret schools that are one desperate way women are resisting the Taliban. But what else are they doing to try to push back against their hardline policies? The Taliban is not a democratic government. The Taliban have been pretty clear that they're very much not interested in any form of democracy. And so there is pretty limited room for opposition. Defiance in Afghanistan. Women protesting in the capital Tuesday after the Taliban strips yet another freedom away. The Taliban have cracked down incredibly hard on protesters, demonstrators. There's been very credible reports. In in fact, there's been pictures of the the beaten bodies of, of journalists who've just been doing their job covering demonstrations, covering news in Afghanistan. There's also been very credible reports of protesters being attacked, um, of them and their relatives being abused and tortured. Despite that, women are continuing to protest. Quite often now we see protests in Afghanistan, not in the streets, but in private houses. Women will gather and hold up signs. But it's still incredibly courageous. You know, there are still many women who are trying to publicly in some way hold the Taliban to account and tell the world and the Taliban that your vision for this country is not shared by all Afghans. Coming up. Is there any hope of the Taliban reversing their ban on girls' education? Emma, you've told us about how the Taliban announced this ban indirectly and then said girls could go back to school before reversing the decision at the very last minute. Does that suggest maybe there's a kind of ambivalence or division inside the Taliban over this policy? And if so, is there any chance they might reverse it, let girls go back to school? I wouldn't say that the Taliban have approached it ambivalently. I would say individual members of the Taliban movement are unhappy with it. But the leadership is very clear that this is official policy and that they united behind it. Several people I spoke to told me that it was a policy decision that came either directly from the supreme leader, um, Mullah Haibatullah, or if not from him, from the very close, small circle of advisors and and their position they sort of sit above the government so there's the government the cabinet who are the ones who promised that schools were going to reopen and then sitting above them is this supreme leader and you know i heard from multiple people that the decision on on girls schools came from him and afghanistan is an emirate and now it's an islamic emirate and that means for the taliban under the system they fought for that you must, the country must follow the, the the wishes of the emir. So unfortunately, it seems that there is a very strong, very powerful political opposition to girls' education, which is very worrying because it suggests the room for compromise and progress on this issue may be quite limited, although I very much hope I'm wrong. Emma, Western intervention in Afghanistan obviously does not have a good history, but Is there any leverage here that the UK, the US, European governments might have and 
have been willing to use over the past year to defend and advance the situation for women and girls in Afghanistan? I think one of the problems with Western engagement with the Taliban is that it's been very haphazard. It's often looked quite half-hearted. Certainly the invasion of Ukraine was an, an absolute gift to Afghanistan because, you know, the attention of the world, which had been focused to a considerable degree really on Afghanistan in the wake of, of the Taliban takeover, just completely switched to Ukraine. And, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that in the weeks and months that followed, we saw the Taliban really doubling down on some of their most hardline policies. I think what is depressing and frustrating is how little interest there seems to be at a sort of, you know, serious level among kind of Western governments for trying to really think about sort of productive engagement with the Taliban and, 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 and or effective engagement with the Taliban and how best to try and push them. It, it often feels like the world would would really rather forget, you know, what happened in Afghanistan is sort of embarrassing and humiliating for, for America, for Washington and for its allies. It was, you know, a failure of essentially of this 20 year, year mission. And there's certainly a sense that, you know, many in the US administration and, and you know, here would be very happy to walk away and have no one ever raise the question of Afghanistan ever again. And I mean, in the time you spend there, when you talk to these girls and women who, you know, a little over a year ago were able to, to work, were able to go to school, and if, especially if they lived in, in bigger cities, do they feel abandoned by the West? Time and again, they said to me, we don't understand why is the international community not putting pressure on the Taliban. If they put pressure on the Taliban, we would be back in school. Many, many of them, almost all of them said to me, it was, it was humbling. They said, oh, we're really glad you're here and you're talking to me. You know, they'd be telling me about their extremely difficult circumstances, whether that was, you know, trying to support their families or trying to go to school. But they said at least it shows that people outside Afghanistan still care. You being here, you asking these questions gives us some hope that we're not completely forgotten. And of course, I, I didn't want to sound too negative, but, but you know, when you leave Afghanistan and you come back and you look at the sort of political debate in our country and other Western countries, you know, it does feel like the women of Afghanistan, who, by the way, were sort of exploited by the West as a kind of justification for 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 the whole military mission, that now they're no, no longer sort of politically expedient for the West, that they have been forgotten. And I should also say, you know, Afghan women in general, the women I've met over, over a decade reporting there are incredibly, there's so much courage and fortitude and so many of the women I met on this trip are doing very brave things for girls' education, for themselves, whether they're protesting, trying to keep working. And almost all of them at some point in our interviews uh, at least their eyes welled up. And that's not something I have been used to seeing in Afghanistan. You know, I I haven't found, you know, even people dealing with very difficult circumstances in the past, generally I haven't seen people or women crying that much. And it, it just struck me that this, how many of them, you know, felt so hopeless that they were on the edge of tears and they did feel completely forgotten by the world. Well, Emma, we appreciate that you can you can come and share some of their stories with us. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. 
That was Emma Graham Harrison, a senior international correspondent with The Guardian. Thanks so much to her. You can read all her reporting from her recent trip to Afghanistan and about the one-year anniversary of the Taliban returning to power at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff, was exec by Sammy Kent. Sound design was by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Elizabeth Casson and Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Thank you.